Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernio on special assignment today. Uh, she's driving out to West Texas. Uh, nobody's flying anymore. The fear of sitting in an airplane next to somebody who may be contagious uh, is enough to make you want to drive, and so she's driving from San Antonio out toward Amarillo. Uh, it's a long drive, but it's a lot safer uh, than sitting next to someone who may be carrying uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus. I want to welcome on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, double-checking she's there. She is. Amber Liddell always is an attorney here in uh, in Bear County, been practicing law for a number of years, a specialist and board-certified in family law. And one of the issues we bring up from time to time here on Caregiver SOS on-air is many of our caregivers are also spouses, and they're in families. And a lot of the stress that they feel is stress that ordinarily would blow up a marriage. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Amber, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. What drove you to become a lawyer? Actually, I I wanted to help people, and so I decided I would go into the practice of law. I was originally going to be a criminal defense lawyer, and after I did some investigative work, I decided that was not for me. So you didn't do any uh, uh, criminal law? I did a few speeding tickets, and then... um, Right. I actually did employment law, which was I, I did what people came in and employed me to do, which was mostly family law, and I ended up becoming an expert in family law, and now that's all that I do. And the issues involved in family law are, are everything, marriage, adoption, divorce, custody, support, ownership of property, and a whole lot more. And, and in situations where a caregiver is involved, it also relates, does it not, to a fiduciary responsibility to care for somebody. Yes, it does. As you look at the... Go ahead, I'm sorry. The, the Family Code does impose a fiduciary duty on spouses when you're married. You, it actually sets forth specific fiduciary duties that you have to your spouse, and they're significant. So when my wife said to me after I had my knee surgery, get up and get your own water, I could have sued her. <laughs> I don't think the fiduciary responsibilities go quite that far. Ah, <laughs> uh, just checking. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. And in the interest of full disclosure, uh, we're quite uh, familiar and friendly with uh, Amber and her husband, Randy, and their wonderful little daughter as well, Becca. So uh, uh, you may hear references throughout this show that uh, show that we're more than just professional friends. I'm not implying anything other than we're family friends. Now, Amber, as you take a look at the pressure brought on families uh, from – uh, coronavirus from COVID-19, an incredible number of people who are dying. Over 100,000 will be dead by the time this show airs and the numbers keep going up. That brings stress into a household uh, almost beyond anything I can think. How does that affect a marriage? It's taking a toll on quite a few marriages because it, there's a whole lot of togetherness. There's a whole new set of stressors. One of the biggest components of a divorce is financial issues. And so if you've lost your job through no fault of your own due to the pandemic, that adds stress. 
a lot of relationships, people are not, they are not good at spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. They use their job as a ability to take a break, and that's perfectly normal. But in this situation, when you are sheltering at home, it magnifies the little issues that maybe we're having or perhaps the big issues, and you don't have a way to get away. And it can also enhance people who are having mental health issues, such as depression. It can enhance their challenges and troubles, which also brings stress to a marriage. In fact, you and your husband are sheltering in home. He has his business, you have your business, and you've got Becca to care for and homeschool as well. That puts a lot of pressure. It does put a lot of pressure. Fortunately for us, I claimed to the second floor, and my husband came to claim the first floor. So at the moment, we're doing okay. For the family that... Uh, and for the caregiver who really didn't want to be a caregiver to begin with, who fell into it, as many caregivers do, who have been saying, you know, this has got to end. I can't keep doing this. And then the guilt that comes with, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to file for divorce. How do they balance that? And as an attorney, uh, when a caregiver comes to you, and I'm sure they have, and say, you know, Amber, I can't do this anymore. Get me out of here. What do you tell them? Well, it's, our job is to assist, not to judge. But one of the things we do tell them is we have to assess the competency of your spouse. We can't let you divorce someone who is not mentally competent. And so if only one spouse is capable of understanding a divorce proceeding, we have to advise the competent spouse, you're going to have to go through a whole other proceeding. You're going to have to get a guardianship established to divorce your spouse, which catches a number of people off guard. And that does not happen in the district courts in which family law happens. That happens in an entirely separate district court, the probate courts. It's a whole new world. It's another set of expenses. And there's another person appointed to represent the person with mental challenges and competency. And what's the burden to get a divorce in that situation? What do you have to show? You you have to have a guardian appointed, and that would normally be the spouse. But if you're divorcing your spouse, you can't also be their guardian. So now the court appoints someone else to represent your spouse and have the fight for you in divorce court. And in addition to the fact that you're having a divorce, the divorce can be tried in probate court instead of the instead of the family law courts because the probate court can take jurisdiction. So now you could be fighting a complete stranger to finalize your divorce, to divide up your property if there are minor children, to take care of the custodial issues, it brings an entire another set of parameters to getting a divorce. It makes it more time-consuming. It certainly makes it more expensive. And it can make the litigation be go on quite a bit longer. And for the uh, individual seeking uh, the divorce, uh, the financial burden, as you point out, is huge. Uh, are they able to dip into... Uh, the joint accounts that they have to finance that divorce, or, or will that uh, uh, person assigned to represent uh, the other spouse say, oh, no, 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 this is all your money. You can't take that to divorce my client. You could have a little bit of both. A court can give you the authority to dip into community property, but in a guardianship proceeding, you can have a guardian of the person and a guardian of the estate. When you're trying to get a spouse divorced and the opposing spouse has some competency issues, you're just asking to have them appointed as a guardian of the person so they can represent that person in the divorce proceeding. But they can certainly ask to have added on to be the guardian of the estate. And now you've got the exact situation that you discussed. How do you get money out to finance not only the divorce, 
the guardianship? How, how do you pay the guardian who has been appointed? Is there enough money to accomplish all of these things? The answer often is no. That's correct, which creates a problem. And some people tell you, I can't afford to get a divorce. And that's a very real statement that they cannot afford to get a divorce between the cost of the filing fees and the service fees, and most often the cost of litigation. Lawyers are expensive. So now you're fighting on two different fronts. You're paying a guardian. Sometimes people literally cannot afford to get divorced, and so they stay in a marriage that perhaps makes them very unhappy. She's Amber Always, an attorney here in Burke County. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air, talking about uh, the need for legal representation uh, within a marriage, especially of uh, the caregiver versus the care recipient. And, and if you're interested in talking to Amber, her office number is 210-225-5567. 210-225-5567. Call, ask for Amber Always, and she will be happy to chat with you. As we look at uh, the pressure, as I had mentioned a little while ago, Amber, from uh, COVID-19, uh, the pressure coming from what's going to happen uh, in, in those situations. And I don't mean to you know, paint a really dark picture here, but where you can't afford a divorce, where you're terribly unhappy, uh, you set up a situation where somebody might die. That is possible that someone will die um, or that they'll be placed in a facility to be taken care of. And there are lots of famous cases where one spouse has entered into a coma or something of that nature, and the other spouse is literally waiting for them to pass on because either it's less expensive or, as the surviving spouse, they're likely to stand to inherit all of the community property assets. There There are some good reasons and there are some bad reasons that people stay married to someone with competency issues. Most often, if you can't afford it, People just go on with their lives, um, and they can start seeing a significant other outside of the marriage relationship, and they believe that when they present to a court that their spouse had significant competency issues and they had to go on with their life, there will not be a penalty associated with that, but there will be, because the Texas Family Code doesn't say adultery except in these situations. It just says adultery, and if you've done it, you've done it. That's and very the guardian interesting. representing the spouse with competency issues is more than likely to point that out and say to the judge, we want you to take this into consideration when dividing the estate. We want you to give the spouse with the competency issues a greater division of the estate because of the fact that this other spouse has had an extramarital relationship, plus the spouse with competency issues is going to have greater needs going forward. So it's a real challenge if you are in a position where you think, I'll just wait it out. It comes with a certain set of parameters and obligations and obstacles that people don't always think through before they do it. Now, as you mentioned uh, just a short while ago, you're not there to be judgmental. You're there to provide the best advice you can and to help your clients. But when a client paints this kind of picture, you know, I'm having an affair. This is the love of my life. I wish we'd met, you know, decades ago. Uh, I'm, I'm caring for and living with a spouse who has total dementia, doesn't know who I am. Why can't I just carry on both the affair and do what it's necessary to care for the spouse? And our response is honestly to say that is your decision to make, but here are the reactions, um, the possible consequences of having an extramarital relationship. You're not the only one who can apply for a guardianship for your spouse. Your adult children can. Perhaps your spouse's children from a previous relationship can. Siblings of your spouse can. 
So you're not the only one who can control whether or not a divorce and a guardianship is filed. Wow. And if you're in a second marriage or a third marriage, and the children from the first marriage realize that their parents' money is being spent on a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend, that's probably not going to go over well, and they may take actions to get their parent out of that situation. Hold that thought. I'm Ron Aaron. She's Amber Always, an attorney here in Bear County. We're talking about family law, especially as it affects those who are caregivers and care recipients. You hear Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number, and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. We are rocking along right now on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron talking with attorney Amber Always. Uh, she is a family law specialist, board certified here in Bear County, and uh, represents folks in a variety of issues that spin out of family law. If you want to get a hold of her, you've got an issue you want to talk about, 210-225-5567 is the way to reach her. Uh, Amber, we're talking about people who are caregivers, and uh, they're involved with you know caring for, in many cases, uh, a spouse, are there things that they ought to think about, ways in which they should try to protect themselves from a lawsuit coming back at them, uh, unrelated to anything? Maybe they're, you know, they're, you know, they're not cheating on the, on, on the spouse, they're doing the best they can, uh, but people being people can turn around and sue them at some point. Yes, they, they need to remember that even if their spouse, or especially if their spouse has competency issues, they have a fiduciary duty to their spouse, and in plain language, that means to put your spouse's needs and comfort in front of your own. So you want to be very careful that you're, you're, you're taking care of all those things. You want to keep very good accounting records, and you might want to consider if you, if you see your spouse is starting to have competency issues or perhaps you believe there's a history of competency issues in your spouse's genealogy, you might want to talk to someone who can help you uh, plan for the future so that you can protect your assets should long-term care become necessary so that you can have something left. As we all know, long-term care can be extraordinarily expensive, um, or you could most often be sued by adult children of a previous relationship who think that you're spending their inheritance their parents' money in an unwise way, and they may attempt to sue you for that. So these are things you want to keep in mind, very clear records, everything in writing. If you, if you have to question whether or not you think it's a wise idea, then you probably shouldn't do it. So just be very, very cautious in those situations. Um, and if you need a break from being a caregiver because it's stressful, call someone, get a service, do something to find some time for yourself so that the situation doesn't deteriorate to a point where you may make decisions that are not wise. Or become uh, emotionally or, or physically violent with the care recipient. In many cases, the violence that care recipients receive is from the caregiver. 
So you exactly you got to watch yourself. You've got to watch yourself. You don't want you don't want to be in a situation where adult protective services are called. It could perhaps result in criminal charges. So when you're in that incredibly stressful situation of caring for a spouse or a loved one, you do have to make time for you. Whatever you need to do, call a friend, call a service, but take that time to recharge your batteries because in a moment of tremendous stress or exhaustion, you don't want to make a bad decision that could follow you for the rest of your life. In a situation like this where many folks never did what we all should do, and that's have a will, uh, assuming your uh, care recipient is, is not uh, is of sound mind and can engage in putting a will together, uh, do you recommend that? Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And even for those listeners who are right now not in the situation where they're a caregiver, you never know when that's going to happen. And it will assist you tremendously if your loved one has estate planning documents in place. The probate process is so much simpler, easier, and less expensive, and it will give you the peace of mind that you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is what your spouse wanted should something go wrong uh, with their physical their physical abilities, their mental incompetency, or when their time comes and they pass away. These are all things that will help you, and you, that's the way you should address it with your spouse is to say, I just want to make sure I'm accomplishing what you would want in this situation. And they are difficult conversations to have. But now is the time to have them. Don't put them off. I was talking to an emergency room nurse a couple of weeks ago uh, who said that uh, for the first time in her life she realized how she should have done end-of-life uh, documentation, determine how she wanted to be treated if she developed, uh, for example, the uh, coronavirus. It wasn't something she had done, uh, and, and now she's feeling too stressed to go ahead and do that. She should, she should do it now because if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's taught us you just never know what life holds for you. These are documents that can be done very quickly. They can be done quite easily. I would strongly suggest that you contact an estate lawyer to help you prepare these documents. A number of them, of the estate lawyers, offer packages that will encompass all the documents that you could need. But if you're in a pinch, I do believe the Texas Supreme Court has DIY forms for some of these things. This is how you ensure that your wishes are followed when you're no longer able to communicate them. And again, this is the way you can provide your family members with a level of comfort that they are following your wishes. To have to make those decisions and avoid, you're already in such a difficult situation, but to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is what your loved one wanted, gives you some level of comfort. Take the time. Do it now. Make the call, get the documents drafted, and then put them away in a safe deposit box. And hopefully you won't need them ever or for a very long time. Then you can rest assured you've done something good for your family. What do you like best about what you do? Actually, I really like protecting children. Um, sometimes children are not in the best situations, and when we're able to help a child into a situation where they can thrive and become the person that they were supposed to be, by seeking the assistance of the judicial system, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good to know that you've helped a victim of domestic violence out of abusive situations. Um, and it makes you feel good to know that you're giving someone assistance to make sure they get what is really a fair division of the estates or fair time with their children 
those kinds of things make you feel like, okay, I'm in the right profession. I've done the right thing. I mean, there's so many situations where you say, well, you, you thought Solomon had it tough. You can't divide <laughs> a kid in half. And I wish more people would remember that. Everyone loves their children, or at least most of us do. Um, and a divorce is very difficult. It's hard to parent when you're together. But if your spouse becomes incompetent or you're separated, you're going to have to find a way to parent together. You're going to have to find a way to put that child at the forefront. And if your spouse is having competency issues and you're concerned for the child's safety it, or your former spouse, it's not a matter of you're trying to control. It's a matter of you're trying to protect the child because the court's number one prerogative is what is in the best interest of the child appearing in front of me. You and your spouse come behind that consideration. And how do they reach that uh, decision? How do they determine well, what is the best interest? If they listen to the testimony and the evidence, and they use their experience to, to determine what they believe is best. They do the best they can with what they have. But one of the things I will remind your listeners of is family law is reactive, not proactive. And so, unfortunately, a lot of times before lawyers can step in and get you some assistance, something bad has had to happen. So the court can say, there it is. That's the thing that I'm trying to protect you from happening again. Wow. Courts are not likely to take a proactive approach. Now, we're living in a world where uh, what was normal is no longer normal. We're living in a world where uh, you very seldom now go to the courthouse. You conduct hearings over uh, Zoom or some other uh, interactive platform where if you want to have a, a, a session with uh, the uh, uh, non-custodial parent and, and their attorneys, it's got to be done again electronically. How has that changed your practice? Well, it's made hearings a little more difficult and a little bit longer. Uh, because that platform is what we have, but it can be a bit cumbersome. It has taken away the ability for lawyers to be in the same room and say, come on, let's go get coffee and talk about this. You're relegated to a phone call or an email, and it just doesn't have the same emphasis as it does if you're in person. Plus, you're having to reach out to your client over a telephone or email. You can't talk to them in person to say, let me explain to you what this is, and you're on a much more limited time basis because the courts are trying very hard to service everyone who needs a hearing. So whereas previously, if you wanted to confer or talk all day about your hearing, you're able to do that. During these distance proceedings, once you're assigned to it, once you've made your announcement and you're assigned, that's it. There's no more talking. So it has definitely changed the landscape of how we're practicing family law. And you're still able to get... Uh, resolution for your clients? We are, but I will tell you that what most seasoned lawyers will tell their clients is you're going to be happier with an agreement that you have reached between yourself and the other party than with something the judge has told you to do. Because when you go to the courthouse, someone is going to lose. That's how our judicial system works. So if there is any compromise that you can live with, you don't necessarily like it, we encourage you to reach that agreement, because the more agreements that you reach, research shows the less likely you are to go back to the courthouse. So we encourage people to try to work things out if possible. And when you talk to clients about that, how do they separate uh, their anger uh, for the spouse versus doing what's right for the kid? A lot of times, unfortunately, they don't. They let their anger at the other spouse or the other parent overcome what's in the best interest of the children 
And many, many times they don't see that they're doing that. It's actually the rare client who can say, I understand that the other parent did X, Y, or Z, but this is about our child. And despite the fact that it's not at the top of my list, this was best for our child. When you sit a client down and say, what do you have bad to say about the other spouse? And they really don't have anything bad to say. Most of them say they're a pretty good parent um, and they love this child. Sometimes then it starts to sink in that you're going to have to find a way to co-parent. And the judges will punish you if you put yourself in front of the children. You've got to put the children first. That's really good advice. Amber, I want to thank you for coming on again. Uh, That phone number, 210-225-5567. You've also been an instructor at the University of Texas at San Antonio. I taught there for a while. Let's see if we can make more lawyers out of some of these young kids. We can certainly give that a shot. (laughs) Amber, thanks for coming on. You take care. You too. Thank you, Ron. Sure. Bye-bye. Attorney Amber, always, and uh, you can find her again at 210-225-5567. We thank you very much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. If you want to hear this show again, podcasts of all of our programs are available. All you have to do is Google Caregiver SOS On Air podcast, and they will pop up, easy to download, easy to share with a friend or a neighbor, and they provide a lot of information about which you may not have been aware. Thank you to my co-host, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you again soon, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.